Hello, and welcome to Asian Glow, a podcast that is unedited, unfiltered, and under the Asian influence. My name is Lucilla. And my name is Amy. Today we'll be talking about why we call our podcast Asian Glow, because we forgot to talk about that last time. And also, I think our main topic for today, as we promised in the last episode, um, is being AAPI uh, PhD students, but in humanities, not in science, so or med school or anything like that. So in some ways, not fitting the Asian experience stereotype. So Asian glow. I guess Lucilla and I have been talking a little bit about Asian identity. I think you had like asked me a question. Yeah, so my dad is searching. He's looking a lot at Asian American experience as someone who is Asian but not Asian American. He's really really interested in looking into it. Um, But I think it's one of those things where like, especially it's really hard to introduce someone to it when you're like entangled in it. Yeah. And so, and also especially like at this point, especially being a PhD program, it's very hard to find like good like survey or good intro stuff. That's not gonna like, overwhelm someone else. Right. Um, someone who isn't like, who isn't Asian American. And so I was like, I was like thinking about that. So I, I reached out to Amy to talk about that and to see like suggestions she's had, especially cause I feel like most of my research and stuff, like looking into Asian American, hasn't been, like, formalized. It's mm-hmm. all been partly experiential, partly just, like, piecing together. It's very, like, scattered, like, very jigsaw puzzly. Um, I say that because I, I see it there. Yeah, puzzle <laughs> right next to yeah. you. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so, and whereas I felt like Amy has had more formal, like, training in this or has, like, more formal education in it. So I wanted to kind of have both or see both, and I thought that would be useful to send to my father. Yeah, and yeah. so... Um, I went to Cornell, as we mentioned in the last episode. If you haven't checked out that episode yet, it's on our um, Anchor website, and it's also on all the major platforms, so like Spotify, Google Podcasts, and also on iTunes, yeah, Apple Podcasts. Um, So check out our pilot episode if you haven't yet. But um, yeah, so uh, Lucilla and I were talking online, and I think I was actually on like a food-related post, which is very in keeping with our conversations. Yes. Um, I think, I don't remember what it was about, actually. I think it might have been about Ugly Delicious, because I know you had told me to watch it, and then I hadn't had a chance, or it was just like, I didn't want to watch it when I couldn't access the food. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and so um, when I was at Cornell, as I was saying, um, I did have the chance to take a intro class to um, Asian American Studies. So they actually do have Asian American Studies. I don't, it's not like a, I think it is, I don't know if it's a major. It's certainly a program, so it's not a full department, I don't think. Um, but they have an online website where you can access all the syllabi, and I, I linked that to uh, Lucilla when we were talking. Um, so I took that intro class. I didn't really start exploring like my Asian-American identity until basically college. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good that I had that intro class. I unfortunately didn't really take anything further, even though... Cornell had pretty good course offerings and some like really great professors. It just wasn't the, the thing that I was like focusing on at the time. And honestly, at this point, still not something that I'm fully focusing on. And I, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, I have some thoughts on that um, for later. But um, yeah, so we we're having this conversation. So it was already in my head, like we could possibly do this in like a public forum um, and then I was taking a shower one day, which is like where all my good thoughts <laughs> come from. Like, yeah. And I, I was thinking, 
about podcast names because I did have one podcast before this, mm-hmm. um, and I, I work in the digital center at our university, Emory. Um, so I, I do have like a little bit of training in like audio editing, although we don't really edit this podcast. We don't have time to edit. We have to edit other. Oh things. my god! Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I was thinking about podcasts, I was thinking about like Asian American identity. I posted this like picture online of some food from, we went to, in Atlanta, we went to Ama's Taiwanese kitchen. We had some food there, we were talking. And I was like, oh, would anybody be interested? And I was thinking that um, night in the shower and I was like, oh my God, Asian glow. And I'd completely forgotten that there's another term for Asian glow, which is Asian flush. Um, I don't know if you all have heard of any of those, um, but it's like, I think it's like, I don't know if it's like regional, you know, but I feel like, yeah, I think like some people will say Asian glow, some people say Asian flush. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, what distinguishes And I don't know if one is more derogatory or not. I don't think so. I don't, I really don't think Asian flush is like as derogatory, um, as I initially thought it might be, but basically like a lot of. Asians. I don't know if it's just East Asians, but East Asians. It's primarily East Asians. There's there is some scientific genetic reasoning, but I don't remember. Yeah. So it. there's a, some kind of genetic link, and apparently it's linked to uh, lactose intolerance. Yeah, yeah, I did hear that. Yeah. So um, a lot of Asians when they drink, a lot of East Asians. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're gonna use the East Asians here. Get very red in the face when they drink, and it's genetic. Um, and I know people who have talked about, like, feeling a lot of shame, being very embarrassed when, like, they're out with their white friends or just, like, out in public when not just, like, a completely, uh, like, understanding East Asian community. Um, that a lot of people feel very ashamed about getting very red in the face. Yeah, it is. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people think because of that, that East... Oh, so... Um, Wikipedia says 36% of East Asians, Chinese, okay. Japanese, Koreans. So Wikipedia at least is thinking that's an Asian yeah. thing. But yeah, but they a lot of people think that because of that, like East Asians can't drink a lot, right. which is often like not the case because like, like Koreans have soju and like yeah, or like baijiu. Like baijiu yeah. is very oh my God. Very, very strong. Very strong. Um, and people but, just knock that back. So yeah, but because I think it's because of the physical, like physical looking at it, because I've like definitely. I've definitely, like, had one drink, and I've had, like, a white person be, like, are you okay? Like, you yeah. look really drunk, and I'll just be, like, no, like, it's yeah. just because, it's like, it's, I'm just red yeah. because and of Asian glow, not because I'm yeah. drunk. I also think there's this, like, weird, like, possible paternalism involved where, like, I don't know, white people who just don't, don't understand. I think a lot of it does come out of ignorance. It's not out of, like... I think people, uh, in my experience, it's, like, people that just don't know about this and, like are then very suddenly concerned for you, like... Well, because it does make sense because, like, if you do see one, see someone else who is, like, very red... That's true, that that's does, true. Like, that is, like, it's an a warning indication sign. of, yeah. like, oh, this person had too much to drink. Yeah. So I do see it as, like... I think it's, yeah, I think it's both. It can be yeah. just, like, concern out of ignorance. Yeah. But can also just... It could also be for someone who kind of realizes... And who yes. hasn't hasn't been around a lot of East Asian people, yeah. doesn't know about this. Obviously, they're not going to be like, oh, it's just Asian flesh. But yeah, um, yeah. so I was thinking about this, and I, I sort of like the double meaning. I, I picked Asian glow because, it, you know, there's all this, like, 
language about glow right now, like glow up and oh, there's that Netflix. Actually, the, that Netflix. Oh, the documentary. female wrestling. Yeah, so, yeah the wrestling show. show. That's what I thought about when you yeah. mentioned that. Actually, but like, I, I think like there's there's something about glow that is uh, more inherent, not um, well, not uh, more immediately like redeemable, but is also attached when it's Asian glow. There's like. I don't know. There's there's a double meaning there, right? Like you don't fully fit in, and and maybe you don't know why if you don't look deeper into it. Um, well, I guess also because flush, like the flushing part seems to connect like to flushing New York. No, no, no wait, that actually would make more sense. I was thinking more like you know, like when you're embarrassed, you flush that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So it has more of a maybe it has more of a shame connotation then. Yeah, exactly. Because it's about turning red if you're embarrassed. Yeah. Whereas glowing, like yeah, it's yeah. like a Everyone, like, it's the whole highlighter trend right now, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Everyone wants to have, like, holographic eyeshadow. Like, a healthy glow. Yeah, healthy right? glow is very big. Um, also, like, you know, like, when white people want to, they want to get a tan. I've, like, I watch, like, YouTube videos with, like, you know, those, like, self-tanners. Yeah. It's all about, like, a bronzy glow. Yeah. So, like, that's uh, that's also kind of interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I mentioned the name to Lucilla, and like we checked to make sure that no other podcasts or anything had the name. And I think that's what that because you checked it before you mentioned to me. And yeah, that's what really intrigued me is the fact that no one's used it, which yeah. I was really confused by. I thought that this would be kind of a no brainer name yeah. for something branding like this. chance. Like it's very yeah, it just seems very it just seemed like such an obvious branding opportunity. Yeah, so <laughs> we took it. Um, um, but yeah. So, like, I think that's a good name for our podcast. I mean, obviously, we're not we're not just talking about, like, alcohol. We, I think while we um, – actually, we can talk maybe talk about that a little bit first before we jump into sort of the academic side. Um, but, I mean, I just think that it's a good sort of – it's a catchy brand name slash whatever um, for our podcast. But also, it tells you a little bit about the content you might be able to expect from our podcast i mean we could do an episode one day where we try out different kinds of alcohol yes <laughs> i should also mention that i didn't drink until grad school so um well, we could talk about it's kind of like different we have very different experiences yeah. yeah um so yeah i mean i didn't so this also plays into like stuff we were so we were prepping a little bit before the episode and we're talking about like a bunch of things that probably won't make it all into this episode I mean we hopefully hopefully we'll have another episode about some of the stuff we talked about but we were talking about like pre-gaming oh first we were talking about like being punctual being on time to things so when I was growing up like it was just you had to be on time to things it was just unheard of if you were super late but we knew a family and we were very quite close with a family that had lived in France for a long time um and so they like to you know have like some white wine before going to an event and it was not like pre-gaming as such like getting drunk beforehand to like let loose it was more just like oh I'm gonna relax and then go to this nice dinner party but so they were always late to things and we were just like why are they always late oh they're just like French or whatever and it was like that's other that's very different from us where if if the party's at seven we're there at like seven or seven oh five at the very latest but that's like very that's the interesting thing is i think like for people like asian people i know that's like a very it's interesting because i feel like we have that same experience for like certain things 
But then mm-hmm. there's also like there's a kind of concept in like Chinese like Christians, Chinese American Christians about like uh like starting time. So like churches always mm. like yeah. Chinese churches always start late. Like it's just like a thing. Like um the church I'm currently at is an Asian American church and we start on time and that was like the weirdest thing to me. <laughs> that was also like I was very impressed that as an Asian American church they can start on time because I've never seen that happen uh-huh. in any other church. So it's like a very interesting where like some things you're very punctual about, but yeah. some things like so it's contextual. Kind of, yeah. yeah. But I think it's also like like when I was at my home church, um, a lot of times like things will start but people will start coming in late because you see someone in the lobby uh-huh. and you like stop to talk oh, okay. to them, you know, it's like a yeah. social it's also like a social community. Thing. Yeah. Okay. So there's like a lot of different reasonings I think yeah. like that. Um, um But yeah, I, I think it was sort of like for my family it was always Sort of about, like, respect. So, respecting that if someone says to be somewhere at a certain mm-hmm. time, you respect them by sh- by adhere- adhering to that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also about being, like, sticking to a schedule. So, like, you know, I was never late to school. I was never late to my classes unless it was, like, uh, you know, some uh, other, like, reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I was never, like, I never felt comfortable being late to things. Um, so something new that now I show up to late, late to things, part of this is like learning that when other people say their party starts at seven, they really don't expect anyone until like eight or something, you know, they expect you to pregame it. And that's something I didn't understand. Again, this, tr- this goes back to like, I didn't drink until grad school. So that's something I completely had to learn recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, that like pre-gaming is a thing. Cause I mean, I used to, I didn't, okay. I really didn't used to socialize at all. <laughs> so like in college and undergrad, I basically like my two friends, we just like got together for lunch or we, uh, like would for a brief time, I had my dorm to myself cause my, uh, my roommate who was pre-med dropped out of Cornell Oh, no. Yeah, without telling me, by the way. Like, I saw her mom right before winter break, and I was like, see y'all, like, after... Or I didn't say y'all, because I wasn't living in the South yet. I was like, see you all after Christmas. Like, Merry Christmas. Um, And the mom was like, yep. Oh, no. And then I I panicked because she completely packed up her room, and I, I just had no idea. I was a stupid freshman, and I was like, oh, my God, am I supposed to pack up my room, like, make it, like, clean? Is that someone going to be living in here, like, during the winter break other than me? And so I went to my RA, and she was like, oh, you didn't know your roommate dropped out. And I was like, whoa. Um, Wait, so you just had a room for yourself? So yeah, I had a double. You got really lucky. I know, I had a full <laughs> double. I mean, I did live in the all-girls dorm, so I didn't have any friends, because we happened to have, like, one sort of catty floor, and the rest mm-hmm. was apparently very lovely, and people are, like, lifelong friends with mm-hmm. the fellow roommates and, like, floor mates, but I was not friends with anyone else, so I just had a room to myself, and I, uh, yeah, I had a friend who... We were like kind of like Tumblr friends. We met in person, but then found out we were both on Tumblr, and I was like, instant best friends. Um, so yeah, sometimes she'd come over to my place. I had double to myself. We'd just watch Doctor Who for like the whole night. Um, I still can't get over to finding it a double, because like, yeah. I'm still, I'm very jealous. <laughs> I, mean, I had a great college experience, but like, like that's a lot of space. I know, yeah. Because <laughs> I know friends like... My school had, like, a housing shortage. Yeah. Some of the freshmen, oh, yeah. especially the guys, 
they were forcing three guys to a traditional double. So they well, were called forced triples. And see, this this happened with my eventual roommate who moved in the, um, like, I think maybe like a month after. Oh, okay. Or maybe, maybe it was even like two months after, but she, she moved in. Um, okay. after the new term, the new So you still got, started. you eventually got a roommate. I eventually got a roommate. Okay. She was in a triple. That wasn't um, supposed to be a triple. That wasn't supposed to be a triple. And she was very Christian. She didn't drink. Um, oh, so that's what they put her with you. Yeah, they, they put her with me. Um, and, uh, her, one of her roommates in the, in the double turned triple, uh, smoked, drank, was out uh-huh. all night, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, they put, we, put her with me. It ended up being good. Uh-huh. She was Korean. She, I think, I don't know if she ended up being a missionary. I think she was talking about it at the time. Um, but yeah, it, it was like, it ended up being pretty good. She kept later hours than I did. Except at the time, I used to go to bed at like 11 p.m. Actually, I did that in college. Because I didn't go out. I didn't drink. I did my work i needed to be up early for classes because i needed to be on time i didn't miss class oh no but did you have like because i didn't take any sciences or math classes so i never oh had, really yeah because well, i i ap'd out of advanced oh, placement okay, out of okay. all of it so like you but, didn't have any distribution requirement uh, like that filled the distribution yeah yeah like oh yeah because i took ap chem and i, I took okay. ap calc and so i fulfilled all of that interesting and then so i didn't have to take any early classes any early but i worked I worked my second and third years, um, like, in a dining hall, and I was doing morning shift, and uh-huh. I was volunteering, like, doing breakfast like, soup kitchen. Yeah. So, I had to get up early. So okay, I had, yeah. I still, I still had to go to bed early. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that all makes sense. Um, but yeah, so, what were we talking about? Um, talking about, so, how you didn't, because you didn't go through, like, college, you didn't really experience any of the college, like, drinking or partying culture. So you so didn't realize that how, like, when people say come to a party, you're supposed to show up, like, half an hour, maybe even an hour late. Yeah. Um, so, that was something I learned in grad school. It's also, I don't know, I was, I mean, I, it, so in undergrad, I also was in humanities. So, with Cornell, you, in, in the Arts and Sciences College, which is a private college of Cornell, um, so Cornell does have public colleges right, as right. well as private. It's like the agri- is agriculture public? Yes. Engineering? So agriculture and life sciences, life sciences. is okay. a public. Um, that always confused me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, engineering, I want to say, is public. Okay. And there's another that's public that I can't remember at the moment. I probably should. I, I think there's, there's three public and four private, or okay. it's the other way around. Interesting. But, yeah, so arts and sciences is the liberal arts college of cornell that's where i went um which oh well this will lead into the next topic most of the people that i knew from my high school and then most of the asian americans that i saw at cornell that i ended up meeting were in engineering or in agriculture and life sciences and most of them were in like biology chemistry um pre-med all that you know um so I ended up meeting some Asian Americans in English, which I declared my second year at Cornell as my major. Yeah, even at Cornell, I didn't really have Asian American friends. And like my first two years at Emory, because we met my second year, I think. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have Asian American friends. Um, so the people in my program, there are 
uh, two international students from India, so they are Asian, but they're not Asian American. Then they wouldn't count. Would they count? Would they consider themselves Asian American? I don't think so. I, yeah, I don't think so. I think they're still a lot more tied to. Like being Asian, like from being and especially Indian, but also Asian, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but definitely not the full American experience. Which I feel like I, I mean, for the longest time, this is something interesting about Asian American experience. Like I would say I'm American, and I would leave off the Asian part of it because I was trying to like prove, hey, I fit in. Like mm-hmm. I'm just as complex as anyone else, and like. It's it's not from my Asian Americanness. It's just the fact that I like, grew up doing certain things, grew up with certain people, um, and I would I would like say to myself like I'm 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 American. Mm-hmm. You can drop if you have to drop anything from the equation. It's the Asian hyphen. Mm-hmm. And then recently, I've been like thinking, oh, I I really do identify with being Chinese American and Asian American, also more broadly. Um, And there's this great article that um, my first semester that I taught for the first time, uh, my class is called Food, Feelings, and Film. And I really wanted to use food as a way to talk about like identity for the most part and like feelings associated with identity. And so I assigned them this essay that's called Eating the Hyphen. It's really interesting. So it's about this woman who uh, like talks about eating dumplings, um, but she eats dumplings with ketchup. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm not okay with that. I, what I, the fuck? No. I'm still not going to try that. That's like... That's like, okay, that's... That's, <laughs> they're, they're, that's not about... That. I don't... No, but it's it's actually a really good essay. You should read it. It's yeah. a very quick read. Oh, my God. That's like, okay... <laughs> I don't know if I consider that like an identity thing, or that's just like a food faux pas, like eating ketchup and steak. Like, I... <laughs> Oh, but, no, no. And it wasn't, no. like, chive dumplings. I think with chive dumplings, that's gross. I feel like, no, no, <laughs> no, because you don't, know, like, no, like, they're, no. <laughs> but, like, no. I, would, I, would, <laughs> I, I would eat dumplings with sriracha. Is sriracha that different from ketchup? Yeah, yeah, because sriracha is spicy. But ketchup, I think, has a sour, sweet tone that doesn't hmm. seem to make sense with the, the way the meat and the filling is. And then... It, Oh my god. <laughs> You're not getting over this. But I, anyway. I can't get over this. I'm, oh my god. The essay is really good. Okay, um, we're going to try it. We're going to try it next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love the dumplings. I'll try it. This is so gross. Maybe the first time that we need to edit if, if Lucilla throws up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you why we edited it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the essay is really good and it's talking about, so eating the hyphen, it's, it's about that hyphenated identity. It's, it's not being Asian enough. It's not being. It's being not American enough. Um, it's that weird hybrid, and it, it could be very weird, right? Okay. Like, yeah, I get. I get the. I get the concept. Yeah. I. I mean. Okay. You're not accepting like the actual. A lot of Europeans. Of Europeans don't eat their French fries like ketchup either. Like Belgians don't That's eat true. French fries like. Ketchup also, I mean, ketchup. Okay, but like, see, dumplings with ketchup is at least better than ice cream with ketchup, which people in my school did eat. Wait. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I can't deal with this. Okay, this anyway. is just getting worse and worse and worse. This is becoming like what not to eat. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. Did you so, hear that? Grace just yeah, walked by. Did you hear about our ketchup faux pas? Yeah, ketchup with dumplings. You want to try it? <laughs> no way. Okay, that so my roommate so just walked out, walked out, and I told her <laughs> that apparently 
There's a woman who eats dumplings with ketchup. No. That's <laughs> atrocious. That is a sin against I mean, humanity. Sh- we shouldn't judge without trying it. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> Anyway, no, no, getting no, no. back on track. No, this is not okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, the whole thing is about being this weird hybrid, being the hyphen. And so I was really thinking about, like, now I think I, I do identify, like, I think we are in that hyphen. Because we're in that, like, weird space. At least certainly I feel like I'm in that weird space between. Because I'm not, I'm not Chinese enough. I don't have, having been born in the U.S., so I'm an ABC, American-born Chinese, I don't have the cultural experience or, like, upbringing to fully understand what it is to be Chinese, even though both my parents grew up in China. And I, I, like, do have some of that background. But then I'm also definitely not American enough where, like, the food I ate as a kid, like, was smelly and weird and gross to all my white friends. Um, Like, and when they came over to my house, my mom offered to make anything. She's like, ask your friends what they want to eat. I'll make anything. You could have asked her to make, like, oxtail or, like, oh, I love oxtail. Chinese, like, ribs. Stuff that would take, like, days to marinate. If my friends had asked for it, she would absolutely have made it. But, like, my friends only asked for, like, chicken and broccoli or, I mean, the more adventurous ones would eat the dumplings. But they didn't really like the dumpling skins. They just really wanted to get to the pork in the center. Wait, really? Because when yeah. I was little, like when I was a kid, I, I used to actually, I used to not like the filling when I was like three. Yeah. I only eat the skins because like there's something with the texture of the skins yeah. I really like. Yeah, and see, I like the the texture of the dumplings, but and that's something that um, ugly Del- delicious. We're gonna bring it up again because it's a really good show. Um, it talked about like how. In the U.S., we don't have as many textures, and do we? I think we talked about this maybe in the last episode. I, I forget. I think Anyways. I was probably saying it. I think I was. I think yeah. What David Chang said about texture was really. I felt like it was just very astute, and I feel like a lot. I, yeah, I feel like when he said that, I was like, I've always known this, but I've never been put into words. Exactly. That. Yeah. But what you're saying about a hyphen, actually, um, I, I taught a a seminary class, and something we one of the thematic themes we we're supposed to teach them, make them follow, was about a concept called double consciousness. Oh, yeah. Which um, Luther, and actually from Martin Luther, uh, it, was, it was actually originally a religious concept. Oh. But then, yeah, so, yeah. Because I only heard, heard the Du Bois. Yeah, but Du Bois is taking, picking it up from this Christian context because okay. he is, I mean, way about, like, black emancipation and slavery is also very tied into this, like, understanding of Christianity, but he picks it up from Luther. Mm-hmm. At least that's what my professor's thesis was. Um, and this idea of like, having a double consciousness that there's something about your identity or yourself that's been split into different parts. And so it's, it's and something my professor said was like, um, Du Bois is trying to explain like how um, they didn't like these people, these black people, uh, they didn't feel fully American because they were black, but also they weren't right. African because they were born and raised in America and like yeah. going back to Africa. And then by the fact that because of slavery in particular, yeah. it's not like they, a lot of them didn't have the same kind of cultural or like, yeah. tribal ties anymore because those all like erased because right. of slavery and I, this is actually something that grace and i talked about when we went to amas <laughs> um, <laughs> um we, were, we were talking about like so i mean i still get the question like where are you from and then the follow-up question no where are you really from um and i think that's something that you can't ask african americans uh, i mean you really shouldn't but also 
um, it's not as common of a question to African Americans, but I, because I think it would force uh, white Americans to be like recognizing the 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 history that is ingrained of the U.S. of slavery. It's like yeah, colonizers and white people took black people from their country where they're quote unquote really from. So to ask where are you really from, you're gonna have to admit slavery is very much a part of what America is today. Yeah, whereas, like, if there's, like, um, like, someone who was black but had some kind of an accent, they might be targeted with that question. Yeah. Because, oh, you have an accent, so you must be from, like, Nigeria or, like, whatever. Right, whatever, yeah, whatever thoughts people have about that. Yeah, even if they could be an immigrant, they could have been born in this country or Exactly, or, you know, have a different reason for an accent, whatever. Um, But, I mean, I still... So... Something about me is, like, recently I've sort of, like, fully bloomed into being goth. Um, That's maybe not something that you would expect. Um, And it's certainly, even though the goth sub-community is supposed to be subculture, and in many ways it started that way coming out of punk, it is still, in many scenes, it's predominantly white, and often, like, sort of valorizes the very pale skin. Of course, it's more associated with, like, looking like you're semi-dead or looking like a vampire. But it's, it's, but when you think about goth, you think about the very, like, the Super pale, face. European, white European-looking type, right? Even though many pioneers of the goth subculture were black. So, like, there are a lot of... I mean, there were some Japanese post-punk bands. Sorry for the, like, tangent into, like, goth subculture. But I promise this, this relates back. So, like, it's, it's not always expected, even though goth subculture shouldn't be against diversity. It's not expected that there's going to be, like, a Chinese-American goth person. Um, so, like, I've gone to a couple of goth nights in Atlanta. And the first two times that I went to two different goth nights were, like, I hadn't known anyone. I was asked the question, where are you from? Uh, actually, once by a fellow Chinese, it was a Chinese guy, um, and the second time by a white guy. But then also, then there's also different, like, because it's also... There's also, different connotations there. Yeah, because there is one thing where, like, because I, I, I went, when I was in college, I was very involved in, like, Asian-American scene, cultural scene, and something one of those things is where, or, like, when I was, when I was dating, um, like, actively dating different people... That was something that came up, like, um, like differently for who I was dating or who I was talking to. Whereas, like, um, like I, I was, I was like seeing this guy, and he, like, and like it's one of those things where he's also Asian, and so bringing that up was yes, it's different. It's completely yeah, it different. It became very different because, like, um, he wanted to know kind of like more of my experience. It became more yes. of like, tell me more about yourself, or tell, and and he actually framed it as. Um, like, tell me about your background, or, yeah. like, tell me your story. It's about, like, it's it's about unlocking something potentially interesting about you as, as a person and your experiences, right? Whereas it's, like, when, like, other people do it, it's about... It's what are you, you. Or it's putting you yeah. into a box where they feel like they can isolate who you are, or if because of who you're from or whatever, or because of what your ethnicity is, they can put you into a box and they can assume they who can you feel are safe because of that. Yeah, and it's also, like... Yeah, it's, putting it in that box also is is a way of saying, like, okay, you're not fully American. So it's going back to that, like, the hyphenated identity. But they, instead of me being like, oh, I'm more on the American side, 
being like, okay, where are you really from? It's putting you more firmly on the other side, the Asian side, the Chinese yeah. side, even if I feel that I really don't identify with that. Um, and so like, yeah, it was different circumstances. The Chinese guy that came up to me um, immediately followed up that question was like, cause I really don't see a lot of like Asians in the goth sub community. So like, I really wanted to talk to you. And at the time, I was just like, I was there to dance, whatever. I didn't really want to talk to people. I was also, like, just not feeling it that night. But it felt completely different than the second time when a white guy, we made, like, small talk. Like, have you been to, like, this club before? Have you been to this goth night before? And then the next line of questioning was, so where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Atlanta now. And I said oh, okay, like, where are you that before that? I was like, well, I was from Ithaca. And I was like, oh, but where are your parents from? Which is, like, the corollary for where are you really from? And then I just didn't, like, I didn't want to deal with it again because, like, when I go out, I'm not looking to, like, teach someone a lesson. I just, like, want to have a good time. But, um, yeah, so I just said, like, yeah, my parents are from China. But what I really wish I had said at that moment was, like, I'm just going to give you some useful advice right now. Uh, of course, I don't know if I would have said this because being a woman, there's danger of, like, trying to teach a guy a lesson in a public I form. feel like... But, no, what I really wanted to say is, like, I know I know you just want to get to... You're making small talk. You want to get to know me or whatever. Let me give you some advice. Um, the most boring question, an over-asked question that you could ask an East Asian American is where are you really from? But I feel like even that is, I think, because I think that's already, there's some kind of, I feel like that's, they already kind of know implicitly that there's some kind of gender in that question. Because, like, I've talked to other people in Atlanta and, like... But I want to make them fess up to that. No, or no, not fess no, up, but, at but, least. But I, but I think that you're, you're being too kind. Because, I mean, like, if they were really trying to be innocent, if they could have said, oh, are you from Atlanta originally? Yeah, that's exactly. That's a question. But I feel like you're, by, by the way you're framing it, I think that's just... Too nice. Yeah, I think you're being too nice. Well, also, I, I don't want to just, like, as much as I'm all for, like, you know, fuck the patriarchy, I'm also, like, I understand that being alone in, in a space where I am a woman and it's, like, assumed heterosexuality that I'm well, in I'm danger not, if well, I I'm just, not like... Saying, I'm not saying you should, it's like, fuck you. I'm just saying, like, I think what you're saying also might just... I don't think like maybe extend a sort of assumed politeness that yeah, they're assume from me being Asian American that I'm gonna be nice to them. Yeah, or just like why, like, like why does it, why do you have to be trying to teach them? Like I, you're pointing something out to them, but like in some ways you you just said you didn't. See, want but to, I, but I don't think no no. Let me finish. You said yeah. you didn't want to teach them anything, but in some ways when you're pointing that out, you are you are trying to teach them something, and you just That's said true. that. Uh, I, why do I have to teach them anything? I just want to come dance. Yeah. Whereas I feel like if you try to do something, say something that just like totally confuses them, that like that or just like something that like is just totally off base from whatever they're trying to say or trying and try to get but see, you to say. But see, that doesn't get through to most of them. If you just say like, okay, but why, but, I'm from, but I'm from why Boston. why are you trying to get through to them? Because like, then you're going back to teaching thing. Are you doing yeah. to teach them? I mean, sometimes I do feel compelled to teach people. Well, then that's fine. But I'm just saying like, yeah. What I'm just saying, like that remember, night I didn't remember your intentionality. Yeah. Like, so you do. If you didn't want to teach him, then you don't have this. Then you don't. No, have but to I think I, think, I, I wish I had taken that moment to teach him. Okay. At the time, okay. I did not want to teach anyone. I just wanted to go out dance. Okay. So I didn't do that. Okay. But I think looking back on it, I wish I had taken the opportunity 
again, my intentionality is different than what could have happened and whatever that dude would have thought, uh-huh. right? Um, but, like, I think I'm a pretty good judge of character, and it seemed that he was asking that out of, like, yes, absolutely, I think on some level he knew that was a question that was, like, very much, like, putting you in a box, whatever. But I don't think he ever thought about that on a conscious level. And so for me, I wish I had taken that moment to be, like, let's put this on a conscious level. Do you understand what you're asking me? Okay. But then I think, yeah, I think it was just because you just said earlier that you didn't, you weren't, you didn't want to teach them. So, like, if you didn't want to teach them, then you then you're being very nice to it. I didn't then. Now I wish I had. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is why, like, why I'm interested in this podcast. Because, like, you know, when I am on a night out, like, it depends on mood. I think most of the time I'm not going to be talking about the shit that we're going to be talking on this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a different forum. Um, but I most of the time do want to get this stuff out. Like, for my own good, like, getting it out of my system. But also getting out in terms of, like... I mean, hopefully, like, it's not just Asian Americans or Asians AAPI listening to this. Like, there's something interesting that I think now we're talking more about different ethnicities and different ethnic backgrounds and how that leads to, like, how you grew up, how you are as a person, your experiences, how you're treated. But growing up, I never heard anything about Asian American identity. Like, it was just not talked about. And I think... To some extent, of course, people still also don't want to talk about black experience. People also don't want to talk about, like, Latinx experience. But I see more of it in an academic community than I do about Asian American identity. It's obviously changing. There are some really great programs in universities. Um, There's also something about, like, I don't know. I don't think there's, at least in the graduate school at Emory, I don't see it at all. Well, that's actually something, um, that's something very interesting because every Laney, we had a Korean group and we also had a Chinese student group, mm-hmm. but both of actually, I think both are now de-charter or at least a Korean group has recently uh, given up their charter. Um, and something I was talking, I was just thinking a lot about because, and I, and like, that is in some ways very disappointing to me, yeah. but from like a logistical level, like. <laughs> They weren't doing so well, and they weren't, at least a, and a Chinese student wasn't getting enough, they didn't have enough students, and there's just a lot of, okay, it doesn't matter, but it's there's also, a lot of logistical yeah. issues with that, but, and so that's something I think is also the fact that, like, they um, have, they were very stratified in that, like, exactly. it was Chinese students or Korean students, whereas, like, we have two, um, like, black affinity groups, we have yep. one Latinx affinity group, and they've been very successful, and I think it's because they're also, they're willing to kind of be under some kind of umbrella affinity yeah. group because there was more power as opposed to being stratified. Exactly. Stratified. And so when I was in college, I was president, co-president of what we, it's called Asian Caucus, and it was the umbrella organization for the, shit, I'm going to get, I'm going to get. I think your chair is squeaking, by the way. Yeah. But I was like. Like, I was this group that was the umbrella organization for all the Asian culture clubs on campus. And that was one of the, it was one of, it was, like, very unique to our school. I haven't, like, met a lot of other Asian Americans who've been a part of an Asian American group yeah. with that kind of role. Usually, like, there was an Asian American group that was separate from the Chinese group or the Korean group. But because we had this kind of organization, all the different Asian Americans, all the different Asian culture clubs 
were like were able to work together and were able to sit down. So like every week, um, I would meet with all the presidents of all these other cultural groups. And so if there was any kind of like bigger Asian American issue, um, like we could have a united front to address it. And I think that made a lot of difference in like the power we had with the administration and like the power we had because we like overall we were using up a lot of money even though we were like a minority in this school. Um, and we were able to kind of negotiate with like the administration about certain things. We were able to kind of disseminate or like put out certain kind of stances as like a unified group. Mm. And that's not something we I see at Emory from like the Asian or Asian American mm. population. Yeah. At least on the graduate level. I think that right. undergrads have I think they a do lot. a better job. They, they, they definitely have a lot more yeah. groups, a lot more power, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I wasn't really plugged into that kind of community at Cornell, so I can't speak to that. I know when Margaret Cho came to, mm-hmm. uh, to Cornell, um, the people who advertised the event were not Asian and definitely not Korean. Um, and they uh, used, on the promotional posters, they used the, the font called Chopsticks. Or is it chop suey? I think it's called chopsticks. It's this. I think it's chopsticks. Yes, yeah, chopsticks. It's chopsticks. I that, think okay, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. But it's like this very stereotypical. You no, know, I'm saying like the strokes are supposed to be chopsticks. Yeah, I think yeah. That's why it's called chopsticks. I know, but like, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't thought about that. It looks like calligraphy strokes a little bit. Hey, oh, chop suey. Yeah, maybe chop suey then. Whatever. <laughs> we'll we'll figure this out later. Um, but it was basically it was this very stereotypical like. Uh, quote unquote Ching Chong type of font, you know, like mm-hmm. it's an unspoken microaggression or um, at least a, an ignorant move. Um, and so there was a group um, of Asian Americans that came forward and protested this, and eventually the posters got changed. I don't know who spearheaded the movement to change it. Um, but it was a very easy fix. You just need to print some mo- more posters, change the font, whatever. Um, but actually, Margaret Cho brought it up in her like opening monologue, and she I mean, was like, "Of course she would." Like, of that's course, really bad. Like, yeah. And she was like, "Yeah, we need you needed to do this, and I'm really proud of y'all for doing this." Um, of course, not y'all. I'm sorry. I now that I've been in Atlanta for four years, I love the word y'all. But I think that's I, I'm actually very surprised that. Like, it wasn't the Asian Americans that brought her. I think that's, that, that's what surprises me. No, but I think that, they like, are the people that lobbied to have her and suggested her. Like, but why did, but they weren't the ones who organized it. That they weren't the people who organized it. Because, like, so. at least... Or at least didn't organize the promotional part of that. It kind of, it, yeah, it, it does affect me that they're using this, like, this very stereotypical font to advertise a comedian who specifically talks against these stereotypes of Asian Americans, right? Like, I find that when I most connect with her comedy is, like, talking about these differences and how maybe she doesn't conform to certain stereotypes of, like, the passive Asian American lady or whatever. Well, that's something that was interesting in the first Ali Wong special was because I noticed in the audience that, so you've heard some of the jokes that were targeted towards Asian Americans or about Asian American experience, like, the audience was very white, and but I mean I don't know that whether that was just because like as she said they were selling coupons <laughs> for her special because they couldn't get enough people to fit in her seat. But I did notice it was interesting that these like white people are laughing about things and I don't know how I didn't know why or I wasn't sure what they found funny about it mm. 
Like, I don't know whether they fully understood why it was funny. But I did right. notice in the second, uh, her second special, I don't know whether just because our audience was more diverse, but or whether Netflix kind of realized that, like, mm. people were critical of, like, the audience. So they were trying to, they, like, made a very conscious effort, I noticed, to, like, show, like, more diverse figures, like, people in the audience, like, show more women. Show Asian more... women bringing their white boyfriends. Yeah, yeah, no, well, actually, no, I didn't see, it was mostly just, like, comes to the Asian woman. There wasn't a lot yeah. of, like, No, I was just funny. talking about the joke. No, I know, had. I know. <laughs> but that was, I, I think it's funny she makes that joke, but then they, they don't really show that that's in the true. audience. That's yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, but I also don't know whether, but it's hard, I don't know whether that's just, like, an audience makeup thing or whether that's, like, Yeah, a, if it's in editing, if yeah. it's, what's the real story there. Yeah, I don't and, know if it's a conscious choice right. or whether it's just who they can find, like, not picking their nose at the right time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, talking about stereotypes, so, again, we kind of have been talking around, like, our status being in humanities. So, yeah, I mean, my experience is that I always knew I was going into, uh... Oh, college for sure. That was completely out of the question that I wasn't going... Like, I had to go to college. Um, But then it was kind of also assumed that I was going to go into graduate school. Like, there's a brief period of time I was like, oh, I'm going to maybe look for jobs. But I didn't really feel that I was cut out at the time for, like, a 9-to-5 job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had the means to apply for graduate school. And then it was just assumed that I was going to go through with it. Um, but the, the thing that is different is like both my parents are scientists and they got into the U.S. because they are scientists. But also the thing also to think about is like, we haven't really talked, but we should touch upon this at least, the fact that there is like the intersection of class and race, the fact that like, we're not just Asian American, we're not just Chinese American, um, but also the fact that like, we both come from like affluent backgrounds. Like my family doesn't have a lot of money, but we come from like a affluent like kind of mentality because like both my parents are very well educated and so there are certain kind of like interesting motivations that come with that right that both perpetuate the kind of certain kind of asian american stereotypes oh, yeah. Um, yeah so we i mean like ostensibly fit into the model minority stereotype where we were good students um we're both gonna be doctors <laughs> just a different kind of doctor than our parents maybe have wanted no my parents are actually fine with it uh, and, you know, we're middle class, uh, yeah, we're, we're educated, we're highly educated, um, probably, like, overly educated, yeah, <laughs> um, overqualified for jobs, yeah, overqualified for any job, we're gonna work for McDonald's, <laughs> yeah, the PhD is gonna lead me into being not, not quite homeless, wait, did you see that, like, sorry, just, did you see that, it was, like, a picture, it was, like, we go to humanities, you can ask people, why do you want to supersize your French fries? <laughs> <laughs> the most important question. Oh, yeah, I heard this. the stories. I think there was one person that advocated that uh, um, English teachers, uh, if they know that their students are going to English, or any teachers that know their students are going into English, to staple McDonald's application <laughs> to any files they give back. Um, but my dad, this was not just humanities, but... Um, it was at the time where, like, everyone in China was trying to get ahead. Um, it's super, super competitive, as you can imagine, from the population. And there's, of course, uh, this, like, stereotypical but also very real insistence on getting, uh, like, the full education. Um, so they said that PhD stood for Pizza Hut Delivery. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you heard this? Uh, MIT, PhD, M-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> <laughs> My dad did do his postdoc at MIT. That's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty oh, good. someone's 
dumping trash outside. Mm-hmm. What was I talking about? Yeah, my, my parents are scientists. Um, and they, you know, they kind of wanted me to go into science. It was kind of unspoken. And then when we did talk about it, it was because I knew I didn't want to go into science. And they are fully supportive. So that's something that is, I'm very fortunate. Um, and they're like, as long as you work hard and try your best, and then we, we, don't, we don't care like what like the specifics are of what you're doing. But um, yeah, I, I think the only reason they really wanted me to go into science because they're like, it's gonna be more job opportunities. And now that I think back, I was like, I mean, it's yeah. true. Like, I mean, it's not great right now in general because I oh, yeah, no. like NIH grant. Like, yeah, it's yeah, not under great. Trump, it's EPA not great and stuff like that. But but it, it is apparently it's worse in Europe because they don't have tenure. <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. So let's talk about how. I mean, how did you get into like philosophy, especially like reflecting on being. AAPI in well that was never like that was never my concern because both my parents are theologians okay yeah so like I've always grown up with theology and so um and so that was never a concern I think more interesting for me I think was that like I did philosophy for my undergrad and I was I wanted to teach so I wanted to apply for a PhD but actually I spent most of my undergrad not spending time with people in my department because um partly because I think uh, the people who are very active in my department were very, like, uh, what we call them philosophy bros, who are very, like, highly aggressive, like, white males who are very interested in philosophy, but who weren't super open to, like, people who didn't really see, act like them or behave the same way. Mm. Their posture a lot in class. Um, they would, like, try, try to show off. They would try to suck up to the professors. Mm-hmm. But it was actually very interesting because I was... Um, first editor and then a managing editor for the undergraduate philosophy journal and when I became editor at first actually the editor-in-chief and started the journal she was actually Korean-American mm. and so like and she was a Korean-American woman in philosophy and so it was like interesting because I think she, she was one of the few people I was close with in my department because like she wasn't like the rest of them yeah but I spent most of my time with people who like were Asian-American in my college but Maybe we're, we're doing philosophy, but most of them weren't in my department at all. And, like, I kind of just got away with not spending time with people um, in philosophy until I got to grad school. And mm-hmm. when I got to grad school, it was, it was kind of interesting. I think a lot of it had to do with specific dynamic of my department that um, there's certain expectations about who you're supposed to see, like, talk to in this department, who you're supposed to hang out with, you're supposed to... Yeah. I felt, like, very much at the beginning that I was supposed to spend a lot of time with the people in my department. So, we just realized that our audio recording cut out, uh, and we talked for, like, half an hour more while we didn't record it. But, so, clearly, we have a lot to talk about. We'll continue this conversation into the next episode, where we'll also talk about, like, what happens when you do want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever and like what happens when you do fit that stereotype and sort of talk about what it might be to to deal with that as an Asian American so we're we're trying we were trying to think about like how we're gonna end our episodes and (laughs) like most like established podcasts have like sponsors and shit like that we don't so we're gonna end episodes with like a funny fake sponsorship. So until next time, bye. This episode was sponsored by 
white men asking where you're from. No, where are you really from? No, 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 where are your parents from? 